Hi everyone, this is Sydney Menson from Inside Scientific, the online environment for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content that helps you do your best work. Today's episode of Expert Answers features Dr. Giacomo Rosito from the University of Padua. He recently joined us for the 13th webinar in the Cardiovascular Connection Series, a joint webinar series brought to you by Inside Scientific, the American Physiological Society, and the European Council for Cardiovascular Research. He shares his research on heart failure and the related lymphatic dysfunction in patients. Let's jump in. The presentation mostly covered tissue fluid homeostasis, but lymphatics are known to also modulate inflammatory cells in the tissues. So can you comment on that, please? Oh, this is a, this is a great question. Absolutely relevant. We all know how much inflammation uh, plays a role in the pathogenesis of cardiorenovascular disease in general and organ damage and, uh, and so on. I deliberately touched only upon the hydraulic side of the story. Of course, part of that modulation of the interstitial fluids and uh, cells is regulated by lymphatic function. We now start to know that diseases which are really inflammatory in nature, like Crohn disease, for example, are impacted by lymphatic function. That's something that we will learn, learn in the next few years in the, for cardiovascular disease too. Fantastic. Great. All right. Our next question is from Jeffrey. Can you provide details on the skin samples, anatomic location, gender, BMI, etc.? Did you track angiogenic and anti-angiogenic genes in the skin samples of soluble plasma? So thank you, Jeffrey. Of course, all those data are published. So and I would really point you to the to that paper that was published in Jack really pretty recently, the anatomic location for the biopsies that we took on patients were on the arm. So sites were not traditionally supposed to be that involved in the clinical edema that we would consider as clinicians, which is much more commonly in the lower limb, for example. And those patients tended to be in decongested conditions. So those are baseline features that we observe. Gender and BMI patients were pretty balanced and uh, matched for that, as I alluded. And we did track the angiogenic and anti-angiogenic axis by, by tissue gene expression and uh, in the hypertensive patients also by measuring uh, soluble VGFC in, uh, in serum, not plasma, in our samples. Okay, that's great. Thank you. We have another one from Jeffrey. Is ENOS active in lymphatic endothelial cells? Enos is indeed active and is one of the key modulator of lymphatic relaxation and um, the also valve function. I would really point you to a paper that was published in PNAS in 2016 and also to the comment that Professor Davis made on, on that paper. That, that is a huge, hugely important component of lymphatic function that is dis dysregulated, for example, in diabetic lymphatic as shown by Josh Scallon, for example, and is one of the master regulators of, of the complexity that I showed you. Okay, makes sense. All right, we have a long one here. Jill asked, is lymphangiogenesis an indicator of lymphatic system reacting to being overwhelmed? So does high VEGFC indicate increased lymph flow 
or efforts to address increased interstitial fluid, whether successful or not, in increasing lymphatic fluid transport capability in response to edema. Let me know if I need to repeat any part of that. <laughs> yeah, that, thanks, Jill. That, that's a great question. So that, that's probably the, the very traditional chicken and egg question that we see in, in, in human research. So it's not something that I think we have dissected entirely. What I personally believe is that, of course, VGF indicates a reaction. And I, I believe that reaction is uh, what our body always tends to do in order to maintain homeostasis. There are points when we fail at that. So even the renin angiotensin aldosterone system activation is physiologically good, but at some points becomes bad. We know that VGFC through VGF receptor 3 also modulates function, not only lymphangiogenesis. We don't know how to exactly correlate uh, peripheral values or even tissue values with the flow at the moment, particularly in uh, pathophysiology and not only in physiology, at least to my knowledge. Okay, thank you. We have another one here from George. How much of the reduction in lymphatic capacity is due to downstream venous hypertension, i.e. right atrial pressure and compliance? That's another great one. I cannot give any quantitative answer to that. I personally believe that when, when I showed you the, the modulation of lymphatic function, depending on the afterload, that is, of course, relevant whenever you run those myography experiments and you increase the output pressure to those vessels. Of course, contraction is made more difficult. So part of that story pertains excess afterload. The adaptation to that afterload in the, in, in the long term and the maladaptive response to that is something that we are studying at the moment. That's great. Thanks. All right. We have another a little bit longer one. Jay asks, there are many studies on the total interstitial fluid volume extracellular, but do we know the volume of the lymphatic vessel system, including lymphangio lymphangions to the largest ducts, example, thoracic and right lymphatic? There are some estimates. There are some reported numbers which approximate 8 liters of fluid handling by the, the lymphatics per day. I tried to be more conservative and I showed you what I truly believe could come from a human experimental setup when they cannulated that thoracic duct. Those volumes were those really coming from the, the main collector where all, pretty much all the lymph is, is basically drained into. And uh, I showed you that it is at least up to 1.5 liters per day in, in, in normal subjects, but can uh, go up to almost 500 um, mLs per hour when your uh, system is overloaded. So I think that this is close to what probably the uh, lymphatic vessel is, uh, system, the lymphatic system is handling uh, in, in our body. Okay, that makes sense. Thank you. Anna has asked you, is there anything patients can do to increase lymphatic drainage of excess fluid? Well, th this is another great question. So how to move it forward and, and go to therapy? So I just alluded to one investigational approach, which is with, uh, at the moment under investigation, as I said, and that is by facilitating the drainage of, of the lymphatic system via the lymphatic duct. If you just move your perspective to the more traditionally called lymphatic patients, so those with the lymphedema, 
for example, post-surgical lymphedema, we all know that the therapy is largely supportive in nature. There are, of course, some attempts to restore the dependency of severed vessels by surgery. There are attempts to increase the lymphangiogenesis at times when those vessels are damaged. There are different results in in the literature. One recent study didn't show much improvement with BGF coupled BGFC therapy coupled to surgery, but the study was small and with large heterogeneity in the group, so uh, conclusions may be biased by by that. So. At the moment, the increase in lymphatic drainage is mostly achieved by mechanical tools, so massage and and compression garments and those kind of approaches. But there are other tools that are under development, and I'm really positive that in the next few years, this will change the field. It's amazing. Yeah. Our next one from Raphael. Is there a nervous regulation of lymphatics? Thank you, Raphael. There is indeed. We have variable evidence on the different peptidergic or non-peptidergic signaling that is active in lymphatic vessels. There is a great review by Peter Russell published in cardiovascular research last year, I think. Indeed, the adrenergic system regulates the lymphatic flow. We don't know exactly how our treatments that impact on the adrenergic tone like beta blockers or possibly even alpha blockers in the, in the clinical practice really affect that clinically. But uh, I really happened to have, a, to have a chat with a colleague who deals with sympathetic denervation in patients, and we, re, we really wondered what the, the, the impact would be on, on lymphatic flow. We, we don't know at the moment. Thank you for that. Our next one up here, Emilio says, since beta blockers are commonly used in heart failure, have you explored the consequences of this blockade or the alpha adrenoceptor blockade in the lymphatics? Yeah, thank you, Emilio. I think this is really similar to the previous one. There is a bunch of experimental evidence, mostly preclinical evidence, I would say, as Peter Russell reviewed in, in, in that paper I alluded to. We don't know exactly what happens in, in, in the patients that we treat. Okay, thank you. Ned has asked, how might you image or measure preclinical edema? Oh, thank you very much, Ned. This is something we are, we, we're still learning. I think that I will really give credit to Jens Dieter here. He did a fantastic job in making it possible by at least visualizing tissue sodium, which is not a perfect marker of preclinical edema, as I tried to explain, and part of that sodium might be stored elsewhere than the, the interstitium, but certainly, at least in part, as I stressed, uh, does represent interstitial edema. So if we manage to visualize or at least quantify sodium properly in tissues, that can be a good surrogate for, for that. And I believe we're not too far away from, from that goal in, the, in our even clinical practice, I would say. Okay, fantastic. All right, we've got another long one a little bit here. <laughs> Jay has a follow-up question. You specified mm-hmm. lymph flow rates in normal controls and heart failure patients, but I was wondering the total volume of the lymphatic vessels in normal and heart failure, assuming lymphangiogenesis occurs to expand the total system volume due to edema. 
I would uh, oh thank you maybe I, I I misunderstood the question so I'm happy to to to, to expand my answer. I think there's a huge amount of plasticity in that systems. We really have limited information in the whichever way you want to define it baseline condition. We know even less how much that's supposed to be baseline condition change whenever there is VGFC signaling, an attempt to uh, respond to increased afterload. So we don't have clear figures for for that. What we do see in, um, for example, in biopsies from lymphedema patients is that these vessels are distended. So the probably the volume that is stored I'm not sure that is the right word, but let's call it this way. Um, in the vessels, really depends on the global fluid status, body status, body sodium, for the reasons I, I alluded to, and uh, it's probably really, really plastic and really, really variable across patients, ages, BMIs, possibly gender. So, I would expect a lot of a lot of variability. I, I don't have the the exact numbers. Sorry. Okay. No, I think that was great. All right, I think we can squeeze one one more question in. Raphael has asked, are there portal systems in the lymphatics? I'm not aware of that. I'm not aware of that, but there's another review I would point you to that uh, was published in Jack by Max Itkin last year, was rather discussing the lymphatics in the portal system, so in, in the liver. That is another organ where the lymphatics seems to seem to play a, an important role. And you may find some information in, in that review. I, I'm not aware of a lymphatic portal system, if I get it exactly right, as you suggest. That's what I know. That's okay. Maybe some avenue to, to explore in the future. Sure. Or someone. There's <laughs> plenty of avenues in, this, in the field. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you'll tune into future episodes where researchers, just like you, answer questions about their work, offer tips, tricks, and best practices, but most of all, share science. Don't forget to subscribe.